Caroline, would you say a prayer for us as we move up? Yes. Father, we thank you so much for this time together where we can uh, spend reflecting on what it means to be in community more. We thank you for the rich teaching that Tom Michael and Diane gave. And we pray an anointing on Thomas and Philip as they share this afternoon. Lord, we delight in your presence. We pray for your Holy Spirit to be here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are at the last of the five commitments for community. Talked about hospitality this morning. So the topic this afternoon is work. Now, hospitality and work are closely, it's nice that they're kind of combined today because hospitality takes a lot of work. <laughs> so that's one aspect of work is hospitality. Uh, but there's more to it than that. And here's how the afternoon will go. I've asked Philip to share because of everyone I've known in my whole life and know now, there's no one who incarnates work like Philip Ellis. And so we want to not only receive from him wisdom and revelation, we also, Philip, want an impartation from him. Yes. You know, some of who you are and what you carry be given to us and to our community. So uh, I'm hoping that will happen. Um, we're going to hear from Philip first. Normally, in all the other times, I've kind of given an introduction, but I think it's important to just let Philip go for it and hear what he has on his heart. And then we'll have some time, like we did in the hospitality, of talking and sharing and responding. And then I'll wrap up at the end, both with kind of grounding work in John 17, um, and, and talking about what's next in terms of the retreats on community commitment. All right? Does that make sense? All right, so Philip. Come and share. So I'm going to read some song lyrics. Raise your hand if you've heard it. Every day I go to work <laughs> with this uniform and this corny shirt. And every single day I was clocking in because my family's got to eat and I got to win. Anybody? Hey, you're cool. All right, too. <laughs> How about... I have no fear of drowning. It's the breathing that's taking all this work. Hey, all right, too. All right, doing good. Okay, uh, working nine to five. Well, yeah, yeah, everybody knows that one. Here's one for Thomas. Oh, I, I've got the working man blues. Oh, I. Can you get the dirt off my shoes? No? I don't know. The alarm. Oh, is that the alarm? Yeah, that was the alarm. Oh, yeah. uh, a couple more. Um, Everybody is working for the weekend. Oh, yeah. 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 Working in the coal mine. <laughs> yeah. That ain't working. That's the way you do it. Your money for nothing and your chicks for the day. No. You don't have to make two? Two more. Whistle while you work. Oh, yeah, that's worse. Yeah. And hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to a go. So everybody today was like, oh, we're going to have a retreat and talk about work. Yeah, right. Well, we are going to talk about work. Um, we're going to talk briefly about it. We're going to move quick. So Webster's defines work as to perform work or fulfill duties regularly for wages or salary. That's Webster's definition. 
So, on the board, 11 slots, top 10, 11, synonyms for work, go. Labor. Labor, good. That's one. Effort. Toil. Toil, that's two. Effort, three, good. Tasks. Tasks, that's not on the list, but that's a good one. Energy. What? Energy. That's Philip. not there, but that's good. Say again. Philip. <laughs> Industry. Industry. There you go. All right, we'll keep moving. Effort. Slog. Drudgery. Sweat of the brow. <laughs> service. Grind. Travail. Wow. Yeah. So we all know what happened at the beginning of time. Man was chilling out in the garden with his corona light, and everything was perfect. It had to be a much better view. Yeah. <laughs> but man fell into sin, and ever since then it was work, 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 right? Wrong. Wrong. It's not right. Man was created by God when everything was perfect to work. Amen. In Genesis 2.15, the Bible says, Then the Lord took the man and placed him in the garden to tend and to keep it. So in the Garden of Eden, there was one rule. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But paradise required work. So the man was in the garden to tend it, to name the animals, plants, everything, all of that. So man, from the beginning, had a vision. God says, without a vision, people perish. In the beginning, God gave man vision, which was to work and tend the garden. So it had purpose from the beginning. So I'm going to give, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but I'm going to talk about eight reasons from a Christian perspective of why we work. Number one, the most obvious, we work to obtain the necessities of life. So obtain the necessities of life. How do we do that? Do it one day at a time. Or as Shia LaBeouf says, just Anybody seen that video that went viral of Shia LaBeouf saying just do it over and over? We get out of bed, we go to work, we go to school, or whatever job is lying before us. We invest our time and our energy into providing for today's needs and hopefully for some of tomorrow's needs. The key word there is we invest. We invest our time and our energy. I had a friend uh, that I knew when I was young uh, for several years of my life, and I hadn't seen him in a long time, and he and his family and kids came over to my house to visit. And uh, we have six acres of land, a couple of houses, and they were just shocked. Like, how did you have this? And they had been struggling financially for their entire marriage. It moved from city to city and job to job looking kind of for the perfect, you know, experience. And so they're, they're looking at me and I'm like, how, how did you do this? And, well, uh, I'd had a landscaping business for 25 years and in that 25 years I probably mowed personally 60,000 lawns. So that's how we did it. 
mowing one lawn at a time, putting our hands to the plow and pushing forward, always moving forward. And that sounds crazy, daunting, like 60,000 lawns. But if you mow one lawn at a time, over the years, you'll eventually get to whatever number that would be. You can think about it in another way. It's like walking to New York is a long ways. Like, oh, there's no way. There's no way I could walk to New York. But if you started, you could eventually get there. The problem is we want things right now. We dream of winning the lottery, inheriting a large sum of money from a relative, or maybe investing in the ground floor of some company that hits it big. And as a result, we often bury ourselves in huge amounts of debt because we want things now. And in the Bible, we see an example of Satan coming to Jesus when he was tempted that focuses on this very thing. So Jesus, it says in uh, Luke chapter 4, Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, had been fasting. But his fast was over. Forty days was over. He was done. And uh, I'm guessing in the desert, he wasn't storing up six weeks, you know, fasting, storing up foods for when he was done, he could eat. And, uh, and if he had done that, he wouldn't need Satan because for 40 days that food would have been staring him in the face. But for six weeks he's been in the desert fasting, and uh, so now he's done, but there would be a process he would need to go through to get food. But Satan's right there saying, man, take the shortcut, Jesus, snap those fingers, turn the stones into bread, just make it happen. You've got the power, you can do that. Satan tries to get Jesus to sidestep the process to satisfy himself. God established this process, and patience is part of that process. Investment is part of that process. Uh, at Christ Church, uh, before it was Christ Church, the rector there was Father Billy. And uh, he told me one time, he's like, we think of Jesus and God as the gimme God. He's a vending machine. You do all the right things, you put your right deeds in, and you get what you want from God. God is not like that. God is not a vending machine. God truly pours out abundance upon us and blesses us. But it's his, his blessing that he's pouring out, not necessarily what we think we want. I had a friend who uh, was putting out an album, and he told me, oh, God blesses me with a million sales of my first record. And I thought, that would not be a blessing. And he thought it would be. But I knew that would probably be the worst thing that could happen to him, was to have a record that sold a million copies. So, our first, our first thing is we work to attain the, necessity, the necessities of life. The second thing we work for is to maintain and nurture the things that we value. So we work so we can maintain and take care of the things we value. God gives us the gift of life, 
His love and His grace. These things are free. Pretty much everything else requires work. Do you want a healthy marriage? It requires work. Guess what? You don't get married and then wake up the next day and you're suddenly one flesh. <clears throat> that comes through time. Time together. There's a spiritual element that takes place when you're united in marriage. But the one fleshness takes time. Spending time together. So if you want a good marriage, you have to work at it. You want a good relationship with your kids, it requires work. You want to be a rock star, it requires work. You want a car that lasts for 20 years, it requires work. This is what I want you to hear. Anything of value in our lives requires work to take care of it and to maintain it. Your house, your garden, your dog, your cat, uh, maybe not your cat, maybe there is an exception. Your skills as a barbecue master, all of those things require work. And that kind of, when I think about that, it gives a new perspective to Luke 12, 48, which says, too much is given, much is required. So when you're asking God for all of this abundance, you better think soberly of what it's going to cost you to keep it, to take care of it. Mm. So by giving attention and focus, nurturing, maintaining, taking care of the things that we love, this is a very practical way we show our family and friends our love for them. This is how we demonstrate love through our actions, is by taking care of the things that we, we have. Third reason, this one was a bit of a surprise to me looking into this, um, but we work to embrace humility. We are not God. We are ultimately dependent on God for provision. And as employees, we often have to work for others, and we're subject to others' authority over us. And I've never really caught this before. It's an interesting system that God has established. In almost every case that I can think of, in order to gain the necessities of life, you must subjugate, sub, subjugate yourself, subject yourself to someone else hmm. to obtain the needs that you have. When I was self-employed, people would tell me, oh man, this would be great being your own boss. And I was like, yeah, uh, it's great not having a boss. I have a hundred bosses. I have a hundred people I work for who tell me what to do. And they contract me to work for them, but I'm subject to them to provide a service that they want. And so I have to fulfill their expectations in order to get the provision that I'm looking for. So again, in this, in this case, work reminds us that we're not God. We need others to obtain the provision that we need to live. So to embrace humility. Number four, we work so we can care for the poor. <clears throat> So as we embrace our dependency on God, we must also recognize that there are things God places, the things that God places into our hands are ultimately his. The vineyard in the Bible, the vineyard is the Lord's. 
The land is the Lord's. The house is the Lord's. The car is the Lord's. Our children are the Lord's. The work is the Lord's. We are stewards. The talents belong to the king, but he entrusts them to us to invest. And we've all heard of the C.S. Lewis' story about the child whose parents uh, gave him money to buy them a Christmas present. So the, parent, the parents were sixpence none the richer for giving the child money so the child could buy them their own gift. This is how it is with the father. It's the whole point C.S. Lewis was making is the, the father places into our hands the things that we're going to give right back to him. So we must recognize our obligation to hold things loosely that we're given. We are called to give to anyone who asks. We are called to care for the poor. So if you're looking for your purpose in life and you don't know what your life purpose is, then take care of the poor. So I promise you, you will be doing the will of God. In the Bible, Jesus uh, came across the rich young ruler. And he said that he followed the letter of the law since its youth, and the Bible says that Jesus loved him. But Jesus said, if you want to be perfect, sell everything and give it to the poor and come and follow me. But sadly, the young man didn't recognize that he couldn't outgive God. He couldn't recognize that if he left it all, he would obtain so much more. And he walked away. We need to remember that Jesus says, as much as you do this to the least of my brothers, you do it unto me. The work is his. We are stewards. Fifth reason that we work is to imitate Christ. So like the Pharisees, Jesus was an expert in the law. That required a huge investment of time and energy and work. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he rose early to seek silence and solitude so he could spend time with the Lord. He would do it at night, too. After a whole day of ministry, he would go and spend time with the Father. He traveled. He worked to spread his message of repentance and the kingdom of God all over Israel. Back then, there wasn't trains and buses and planes. He walked everywhere. He prepared... Uh, Teachings, sermons, he ministered to huge crowds, he ministered to individuals, he healed, he cast out demons, he discipled those who followed him, he handled the, log the logistics of a large traveling ministry. In other words, Jesus worked. I think the Gospels, the first four books of the Bible, of the New Testament, could be called, they could easily be called the works of Jesus. As believers, we are to strive to be like Jesus in word and deed. We too must work. To be an, an, an imitator of Christ, we must be obedient to Christ. That brings us to the next reason for why we work. We work to be obedient to Christ. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Mark 16, 15 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These are direct commandments from Jesus. It's often called the Great Commission. Jesus commands us to do his work. And as many of us know, it takes a lot of work and a lot of discipline to uh, love one another. It takes a lot of work to preach the gospel, and it takes a lot of work to make disciples. I mean, why don't why don't we make disciples? Because it's, it's hard, it's messy, it's inconvenient. It's a lot easier to give money and let somebody else do it for us. I mean, isn't that what the church is for? I can hear. Are there new prisons? Are there new workhouses? The ghost of Christmas present. <laughs> if we have the courage to work as servants of Christ and strive to obey his commands, will we see revival? If we focus on fulfilling the Great Commission, we focus on doing the things God has called us to do. Best of all, we can be called friends of God. John 6, 29 says, This is the work of God, that you believe in him in whom he sent. John 9, 4 says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. And James 2, 26 says, So the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead. We are called to obey Christ through work. Another reason why we work is because God, the Father, works. Genesis 2.2 says, On the seventh day God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested. Exodus 14.31 says, Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. Exodus 32.16 says, Now the, ta the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Deuteronomy 32.4 says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. And all his ways are just. First Chronicles says, Remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgment of his mouth. Psalm 33.4 The word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. Psalm 74, 12. For God is my king from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. Remember the Psalm 33, I remember as a kid, really loving that psalm. Um, it starts, you know, the testimony of the Lord is true. You know, it just, it, it goes on all of these attributes of the Lord. And we used to sing the song, I don't know if any of you remember it, but the chorus would, would go, um, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Honey and the honeycomb and gold, the most precious things when that was written. 
and to ascribe the work of God and the things that God does as more beautiful and more to be obtained as beauty. So is God working in your life? Yes. Yes. Jesus is truly drawing all men to himself. And through the Holy Spirit, he is working in all things in a way that we could not possibly comprehend. God is working. God's continuing to work. And we need to continue to work. And the last thing I want to talk about, the last reason that we work is as an act of worship. God gives us a multitude of opportunities to worship him through the work of our hands. Can you find God's presence mowing your lawn? <laughs> Can you find him in a mass of spreadsheets? How about in changing a diaper? Look for him. I used to tell people when I was a full-time worship pastor, and I, I could find God a lot easier mowing grass than I could in ministry. We walk uh, after a really, really long, hard summer, dying. <laughs> the first cold front blows through. I'm pushing a mower. If this has ever happened to you, pushing a mower. And the first cold front hits your body. I promise you, you will find words to express your love for God. <laughs> <laughs> and you find amazing beauty in those things. <laughs> Jesus wants to reveal himself in your work. Ask him. Ask him and then look for him. So maybe while that pomala dish soap is softening your hands while you do the dishes, God can soften your heart while you're there. God is in your work, and he will meet you there. Amen? Amen. 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 So, all right. Yes. All right, let's ground this in John 17, and I'm really happy to end on this instead of beginning with it, because this verse is so special to me. And to me, it's such a profound statement that can be very encouraging to all of us. So Jesus, in John 17, prays. The structure of his prayer is, he first gives a ministry report to his dad. <laughs> Literally. He's like, okay, Father, here's what I did with what you gave me which is so interesting to read. Then he prays for his disciples, then he prays for us. We're all familiar with, especially the last part of that prayer. But here's what Jesus says, one of the things he says in his report to his father. Verse four, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Okay. There's a lot that could be said there, and I'm not going to preach a whole sermon. But, first of all, work is given. The work you gave me to do, it's a gift. It's a gift from the Father. 
That's number one. Number two, work brings God glory. Jesus knew, I brought you glory, and I love that, on earth. It's like the, <laughs> the real tangible place, you know? On earth as it is in heaven. On earth. Glory on earth through the work that he did that was given to him by the Father. But third, and I'll finish with this, he completed the work that the Father gave him. So what the Father gives us is work that is completable. This is really important. If any person in the history of the world should have been given an unending task, it was the Son of God. (laughs) Really? I mean, seriously. Okay, there's lots of stuff out there, lots of sick people, lots of people that need the truth. There's a whole world. Go, Jesus. Fill the need. That was not how he understood his ministry. He knew what the Father had given him. He did what the Father gave him. And then he said, I've done it. This is really beautiful. So how much more so we who are so limited and so much more fragile and incapable, how much more so does the Father give us completable tasks? So as we talk about work, I think one of the fears that maybe kept some of these seats empty (laughs) was, oh, okay, I'm going to be given, you know, there's all this work out there, now we got to pull up ourselves by our bootstraps and go do it. This is not the way of God. The way of God is to say, I'm giving you a completable task, and I'm giving you the power to do it, and, get this, I'm giving you the time you need to do it. I've stopped saying there's not enough time. I used to say that. There's just not enough time. Then I realized what I was accusing God of. Okay, I'm accusing you, God, that you have not given me enough time to do all the things you called me to be. No, the problem's not God's. He's given enough time for what he's called you to do. The problem is, how much time am I spending not doing what God has called me to do? And I've learned that in many ways, not doing work not called to furthers the kingdom of God as much as doing the work God has given me to do. There were times when... Not doing the work I'm not called to furthers the purposes of the kingdom as much as doing the work I am called to. Because when I'm not, when I'm doing the work I'm not called to, I'm screwing it up. I'm making a mess that God has to just clean up through something else. Seriously, there were times in Wittenberg when I was so frustrated because we had a rule that we weren't going to do something unless the whole leadership team was united in agreement. There'd be one person that was like, no, I'm not there yet. You know, like, we need to invite such as a speaker. Oh, I just don't feel good about that. I'm like, this person has a calendar. We've got to get on the, you know, get on their calendar, on and on and on. And I got frustrated. I wanted to go do the work that I had in my mind, but I didn't because we had all committed to not move except as a team. And inevitably, in every situation, when it came around, I found out that if I had done what I had in mind, it would have really messed things up. But when we all became unified, 
then it, would, it was almost, in many cases, it already happened. Like, the things that we had hoped to do it just happened by themselves. It's hard to describe. So I'm really pressed into the fact that work doesn't mean you're exhausted all the time. I mean, you do get exhausted, and that's right and good, but there's also a, a part of work that's knowing when you're not, you're not called to that, and you just step back, and you're willing to do that and not take on something that's not your burden. So, so I love this verse. To me, this is such a beautiful way to end what a community commitment is, because the last thing we want to say is that we're calling you into an exhausting life of unending Word, hospitality, prayer, 24-7. You're going to do the 24-7 prayer, right? <laughs> no. We're called to, like Jesus, a completable task that God has given to us as a gift. Amen? Amen. Amen. And with that, there are children at the door. <laughs>